Welcome to the 105 Way Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia. And your co-host, JL. And on this episode, we have our lovely 105 author, Pamela. Pamela, how are you? I am good. How are y'all doing today? Fantastic. Fantastic. How's uh, the weather out there on the West Coast? Always sunny here in sunny California. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And we still got to get to that part of California because you're in San Diego, right? I am, yes. Okay, yes, we definitely have to. My mother's dream place of going in the States. So um, when we get the opportunity to take her out there, we're going to have to meet you in person as well. Absolutely. So very first question for the podcast today is tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So things like where you're from, what you do for a living, and then how the idea of writing came to mind. Yeah, that's a great question. So I am Pamela Hollowell. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, in San Diego, California, where I'm a native. Um, I have been doing therapy for close to 10 years, specifically with like folks in the community that are uh, marginalized or minority folks, BIPOC folks, LGBTQ folks, folks on the autism spectrum. And I found myself kind of like writing um, as I was uh, kind of dealing with the, the challenges of grief and loss as we were really like embarking on the pandemic and like the number of like tragedies that we have experienced both in the pandemic and just in the whole Black Lives Matter wars that have continued. And then go into, um, let's, let's let our listeners know about your book as well. So don't give them too much information now, but let them know the title of your book and then just a little bit on what it's about. Yeah, so the title of the book is Grieving Still, Finding the Other Side. Um, And it's a story about three characters who are um, dealing with like unexpected grief and loss. Um, They lose uh, people in different like points in their life, Prue, Devin, and Gus. And so by uh, coincidence, uh, air quotes, they end up meeting together at a grief and loss support group where they learn of some supernatural magical powers that they have. Uh, So the book, you know, takes our readers on a journey of uh, what can they do with this magic? And can they use their powers of three to turn back the hands of time? Love it. And going back to your profession, it goes hand in hand with each other, the storyline and then what you do for a living. Um, First, I just want to say I commend you for what you do. I look at individuals like yourself as first responders because we need you, especially in times like this, like what, you know, just the past two years, what everyone has gone through. It's just it's it's crazy. And I think that what you do is, is powerful. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you for what you do. (laughs) Thank you. Now, when coming up with the concept of your book, I know, um, it kind of does go hand in hand with what you do every day. Um, what were some struggles that you had when writing, when coming up with the concept, or even just Uh getting it published, finding the right people? 
anything, any struggles you had, let our listeners know. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest uh, difficulty, um, just first and foremost, was uh, trying to tell a story that hopefully has like hope embedded in it, while trying to acknowledge like what life is like when you are living it kind of intersectionally, like you're living it as kind of a multitude of different identities and how being in those identities may um, make the struggle harder, um, may make it a little bit more difficult to like navigate. So like there's a character, Devin, and his story is like a multitude of what it's like being in the military uh, while also kind of struggling with some sexuality pieces there. And then trying to live as like a black man in a world, um, like in higher education, where you don't really get to see yourself. So the the biggest struggle for me was how do we tell, how do I tell stories like this that connect to folks while also trying to inspire that there there are possibilities for um, positive outcomes out there. Um, and trying to do that while also, like myself, being in these identities. Um, but the biggest part of this story was written still, like in in the heat of like uh, the pandemic, um, right after George Floyd, and seeing this the different uh, things unfold on TV, which I call trauma porn in the story, um, like. How do we tell these different stories with resilience while also acknowledging like pain that continues to be unearthed day after day after day? Um, I probably just rambled there for a second. <laughs> no, you're good. No, I we, we completely understand what you're trying to say. And it's interesting because you would think that TV has learned from its mistakes in the past. I, I think back to even 9-11, and I, I wrote a, a book about this, just how thwarted my mind was because they kept on showing the same religious mm-hmm. group of people committing acts of violence and the news either knowing i mean we can assume that they know what they're doing or not knowing the inadverse effects of that and how you know being in new york just seeing all those uh people who look similar to what they were showing us on tv and them dealing with the bashing that they've dealt with and have still dealt with so you would think that tv back then and today in almost you know in in 2022 2023 um you would think that they have learned from their (laughs) mistakes and they would stop showing the same black guy in the hoodie or when Mm -hmm. someone of color does something but when someone not of color does something how the coverage is significantly different you think it's been a long time right 2023 Mm -hmm. it's it's been uh, long enough and yet nothing has changed do you think that i mean we know it's a business behind it but i mean do Mm -hmm. you think that it is possible to educate these networks better and letting them know that hey when you when you do stuff like this when you have coverage on black lives matter and you focus only on the negatives and not the positives of the movement how that can really affect someone's opinion thus causing extra violence like do you think that that's something that can be changed or you think even in 2050 this will be the same kind of coverage 
I think even in 2050, this will be the same kind of coverage because I don't think that it's going to be about educating um, the folks in the media that have power over these things, because I think, like you said, that, that they know. And the strategy, I think, of us kind of seeing this is trying to replicate a particular kind of image that does not uh, truthfully represent our entire community. And I think that uh, showing these uh clips and photos and trying to continue with this narrative that is uh, just kind of, in my personal opinion, like an assault on our community that this is how we should be portrayed. Um, I think that that's just about sales. And I think it's just about trying to replicate whatever political agenda that the people behind the scenes have. I think that it's up to kind of us as community members. Um, this is where, and this is kind of written in the story, um, we talk about the importance of us kind of gathering together and um, that partnership, that base building, because I think that it's through our community work, us together saying like, we're this is not an accurate depiction. We need to own our own things, much like 105 has done. Um, we need to be in these positions where we can kind of write this wrong or tell the, the true reflection of this story. I agree. And I was just going to say that I'm so glad you brought that up, how we need to be in the media. We need to be the ones changing the 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 way it's portrayed and the outlook and how things are done. Mm-hmm. And I think that truly that's the only way that it will change is if we're the front lines, we're the ones that are you know, talking to each other, talking to other community members and things like that. Because like you said, it's, it's a money, it's all about money. It's a money-making business and people Mm -hmm. like watching the violence and they like seeing the negativity part of everything. That's what people, people thrive off of. And it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I, I'm grateful for institutions that are black owned, like people who are minorities, like they should, they should be the ones who are able um, to make positive like changes. They should have the power of what happens in their own community, what policies are uh, addressed, what the solutions look like. Other people that are outside of that should not have, in my personal opinion, that authority to say, this is what this is. This is what kind of resources or assets or access to, to care that you're going to have. Um, and as a, as a Black, you know, mental health provider, um, I, I can't say like the number of people that I end up like working with that are black and brown, like folks in the community, because they're like going to these different like therapists and um, just not getting the same kind of affirming experience that, that they're hoping for. And that couldn't have been seen more than when we were dealing with like the rise of like black after black person murdered by a a police officer or a white vigilante. And I don't know if I told you this, but I actually have um, roughly eight years of total law enforcement experience. And being in Ohio, working the streets, started, started a little bit over a year 
in the prison and then worked the streets the the remaining years as a parole officer and it's interesting when you when you bring that topic up how they prime example there's what what's a what's a place in the San Diego area that you would say is not very diverse that would be our hillcrest area hillcrest okay so imagine me as an african american male going to hillcrest trying to police that community mm-hmm. i i cannot relate to the individuals i cannot I, I, I don't know what they've been through. I, I just, it's interesting because myself and other officers who grew up in the inner city always had a way better time than the ones who came from all your schools are great. Your streets are always clean. There's one little chip in the road. The whole road get done. <laughs> right? You know, I'm talking about there's been some potholes in Brooklyn where I'm like, okay, the police have driven by this thing. Why has this not been fixed? Right? So you have these people in these communities that cannot relate coming into our communities and not understanding why there's all that tension. Um it's it's it it baffles me because to me it's a very easy conversation how do what what's what's your take on like even with that as far as the uh and here's the thing i truly believe that a majority of police officers for example are not bad people i have worked with many of them just from where i was and i and i truly believe that they mean well however the problem is, is that there's not a lot of speaking up for the ones who are the problems. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and so that just continues these issues. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate you kind of lifting this up. I mean, a part of like what you're saying is, is some of the work that I do um, as president of the San Diego Black LGBTQ Coalition in San Diego. Um, I sit on a couple of different boards with police officers and talking about um, this very thing, like how important it is that if folks are going to be policing these neighborhoods or communities, they need to have connections with community members that are actually in those communities. There needs to be uh, opportunities to gather at the table and to understand what the cultural kind of norms and practices are in these communities and so that you can build trust. Um, with the community that you're that you're serving, and also there's a bit more interconnectedness uh, rather than the what we have experienced as outside people coming in, maybe meaning to do well, but bringing their own kind of stuff with them. Um, and then we get to the topic of like policing and the fact that even in San Diego, as I'm sure San Diego is not you know different than other you know cities and other states. Uh, we as like black community members are not all on the same page about like our stance uh, in policing, which is also kind of like reflected and discussed in this book, Grieving Still. Um, I I would certainly, you know, say that like a good handful of us have the standpoint that all police are, are not bad. Um, a good number of people, however, have the stance that um police are all bad and that, you know, abolition is the only, you know, way to move forward. Um, And I can't really argue or fight 
either like side of this because there's been so much trauma done to us as black folks in general uh, long before like you and I are like sitting here talking on this you know podcast today there's so much trauma that I can't really fault either side of these things but I know that the the police system is going to continue so I hope that there's a way for both of these sides to, to kind of come together I agree and I I totally get what you're saying as far as you know there's the right side the left side not right isn't right but there's people that are over here. <laughs> there's people that are over here. And then we, you know, there's us in the middle who just want everything, everybody to come together. And it's, it's hard. And I think it's going to take a lot of time, but eventually we'll get there. As long as we have people like yourself who, you know, are standing up and being on panels and, you know, advocating for us, Black people. and the community. It, I think it's very important. Um, yeah, thank you. And if, if I can just quickly kind of also like say, I, I want to point out that these are systems that I think really need to be really kind of modified and, and addressed. And I think that the system kind of needs to be modified to fit whichever um, kind of community or neighborhood that, that the policing is happening in. Um, because uh, a bigger issue, I think, um, that is like happening is the the lack of accountability. How long it takes for accountability to happen, um, and the fact that a lot of groupthink happens. It seems like with police officers, where we can all be aware, like we're not doing the right thing here, but in this community we might not be afforded justice or we might have consequences for doing the right thing um, or we're, we're too afraid to do the right thing because of what other people will think, um, referring to policing again. So I just wanted to add that extra piece in there about um, our community as Black people, we don't always get to see what is called justice. Uh, and what what is justice when you're talking about a community of people that have been traumatized over and over again. Um, in fact, my coalition just did a, a series that we produced called Intersectional Lens, uh, where we asked people like your relationship with the police as black people. And like nine out of 10, 10 of them talked about how they have been taught as young children to be afraid of the police. Um, whereas non-black people that we talked to we're taught this person, this police officer is your friend. And see the differences that that has like decades later. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. I see New York is so interesting because the NYPD, I feel, is the only police department that I have seen where it's like they intentionally put the, the nice, great interpersonal communication skills, great eye contact, all of that type of personality in places like Times Square and Grand Central Station. But then when you come to the hood, <laughs> you go to you go to a neighborhood like where I'm at in Brooklyn, New York, you have these steroids, deep voice, can lift the car up. <laughs> 
So, so it's just interesting because when you have that kind of policing, I just remember growing up, like I was always scared of the police. Like I was always like, yeah, I want to get the heck away from you because you're just always on SWAT mode. Like it's, it's and that goes back to the system. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's interesting. You, you, you brought that up. Um, but back to, um, as far as the book is concerned, I wanted you to kind of touch on somebody who doesn't have that drive or has lost that drive um, or hasn't, let's say they haven't put anything on paper or they've put something on paper and they've lost that motivation somehow. What is your advice to that individual to keep on going and complete their book? Yeah. I mean, my first thought is um, like, there's really no harm and just like writing and jotting down different ideas, opening paragraphs. I can't say the number of times that I stared at that blank, you know, page on my screen, wrote up something, deleted it. Um, music is probably like the best um, or a really useful muse for a lot of folks, but don't, you know, feel so pressured to get it right like the first time because that hardly ever happens. There's usually all these different drafts uh, that you go through. Everyone has an idea, a perspective, a story that I think is worth like telling and sharing. And you'll be surprised the number of people that probably connect with something um, that you could write. Um, I would also say like, it's really helpful to join some kind of like a group, like a, a writing group. I, in San Diego, like connected with other like black writers who had a lot of uh, experience, um, various levels uh, of degree of experience, I would say. And I, I just found it really, you know, helpful. And I think it can be helpful for anyone else to just connect and share their ideas with another person. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that you don't, you don't stop. You, you keep writing. Everyone's got a story, as I told Patricia. Yes, I agree. Yes, everyone does have a story. And it's up to, you know, up to them to whether or not that they continue writing if they started and stopped or to just even get started. So very good advice. Very, very good advice. Our last question which is probably a hard one for you. <laughs> but what <laughs> what have you loved most about being part of the 105 family? Yeah, not a hard question at all cuz I feel like um there have been so many like wonderful things about like um being a part of 105. So I I really appreciated the the collaboration and kind of like the overall like um just making everything like superb. So there were ideas that I didn't even think were possible that could happen. Um, some amazing, amazing edits that really turned a manuscript into a full-fledged book. Um, and then just like that all around like support so that um, from beginning to end and even after um, this amazing um, idea that started out as just like a thought, like in my head while listening to a song, is now a book available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I, I I remember when we first talked and uh, we had such a, a great conversation and, and I was just looking forward to actually bringing this to life for you. And now that we 
are getting to a point where you'll be having the audio as well. Um, looking forward to the completion of that also. But, you know, when we say 105 family, we truly do mean that. Um, I remember when I published with uh, who I went with before starting 105, how once we were done, we were done. That was it. Didn't hear from them, you know, hit them back. And it's like, who are you? And so <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we continued the feeling of family. And it's it's something that has has been very successful. So thank you for giving us the opportunity of bringing your book to life. Thank you. No, really, thank y'all. I mean, again, started out with an idea, and and here it is. And I appreciated, you know, you all kind of believing in this in this piece and bringing it to fruition. Yes, most definitely. And so, with that being said, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you let our listeners know one more time the title of your book, where they can find it, and where they can find you? Grieving Still, Finding the Other Side, available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. Check the book site at grievingstill.com. And how about where they can find you as well? On Instagram or Facebook? Instagram at Pamela Hollowell. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, listen, Pamela, it's been wonderful. You've been great. You've given our listeners some hidden gems and we've talked about some serious, great topics. So again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. This has been the 105 Way Podcast. You can tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Talk to you soon.